If you have your Bibles, let's go. I, uh, I preached the whole service uh, to the time that I was done, and I was halfway through. So I'm going to try to get through this whole thing now. Here we go. If you were with us last week, we opened this series uh, at the beginning of what we know as the Sermon of the Mount in Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, what we realized about these things is that they're essentials to the Christian life. We get essentials, right? There's certain things that we essentially need in life. Now, lots of our cereals are packed with essential vitamins and minerals, right? Uh, I remember when our, our family was first coming up, we had this opportunity to go camping together, and we decided this would be a great opportunity for our kids to learn some responsibility, so we let every one of them pack their own backpack for the weekend. And uh, child one and three, our, our Ben and our Kai, both managed to figure out, oh, that means clothes, uh, you know, underwear, stuff like that. Um, our middle child, Cooper, that did not register with him at all. We got to the campsite, opened up his backpack, and all he had packed were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the, the action figures. Uh, uh, and so uh, he ended up having to reap the, the consequences of that unwise choice. He wore his sister's skort for the uh, remainder of the weekend uh, because he got his clothes soiled beyond use. Anyway, uh, uh, what we're, we're reading here in Matthew chapter 5 are these these. Christ's life essentials. He, he puts them in terms of blessings. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn and, and those kinds of things. Uh, let's read it together and we'll, we'll talk about these blessings as we go further into them today. Seeing the crowds, verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We covered those last week. Blessed, this week, are those who meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be approved. We learned last week that this Greek word that he uses over and over again and as he uh, teaches here at the beginning of his sermon, this word that we call blessed is the Greek word makarioi. And it, it basically means approved. It certainly means happy and blessed or you know, um, um, you, know, uh, you know, joyful. But what it really means in, in the way Jesus is using, is using it is this is the God-approved life. Now, if you were here last week, we learned these verses, and I told you that if I see you in public, I'm going to ask you to quote these verses to me with these signs. I want to let you know that I've actually seen some of you in public this past week, and two or three of you preempted me even saying, go, and you just kind of launched into these verses. I love it. I love that kind of zeal. So we're going to learn these verses one more time together. Put your Bibles down, your phones down. Stand up and let's do Come on. Come on, people. Come on. I, I'm on a clock here. Here we go. We learned this last week. What's the word blessed mean? It means approved. And we put our thumb out to show the word blessed. Everybody say it with me. Blessed. And then we said poor. And we fake pulled our pants pockets out because we got nothing in them. Blessed are the poor. It's the dove, the spirit, yeah, okay. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the make a crown, kingdom of heaven. All right, that's a good one. Second one, blessed are those who, for they shall be, all right, that's what we learned last week. Real quick, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, of, tell him to get off his phone, we're doing this, tell him to get off his phone. Pay attention, bro. Okay, here we go. All right. And then the second thing was what? Blessed are those who, for they shall be. I'm just kidding. All right. 
New one. Here we go. Ready? Blessed are the, and everybody do this. Give me some muscles and shake your head. I'm going to explain that, but blessed are the meek. Okay? One more time. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. <laughs> Have fun with it. They shall inherit the earth. One more time. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the last one's this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, and then do this, for righteousness. They put their blinders on for God, okay? One more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. One more time on that one, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. All right, from the beginning, with feeling, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. All right, have a seat. I'll see you at Publix. Sorry, bro. We good? We good? Ask me if he, are we good? Okay, we're good? We're good. Okay. Yeah, blessed means approved. And last week we, we learned that the, the God-approved life is a life that starts with recognizing that every one of us is spiritually bankrupt. We're all broke when it comes to the spiritual lives that we live. Everybody in here, just so you know, faces God every day. That's an everyday occurrence. God doesn't like, you know, wait in the, you know, the back for us. He is constantly uh, either approving or disapproving of our choices. And then there will be this one time where we will all face him, if it's at the end of our life or when Jesus comes back, we will all face God. And we will have to stand before him and answer this question, why should I allow you into my heaven, into eternity with me? And there is one answer on this quiz. It is not, I went to Bay Life or a church like it. It is not, my family was uh, historically, ancestrally Christian. It is not, I served here, I did this, I thought this, I read this. None of those things, although they're all good, are enough for us to gain access into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is open to the poor in spirit. Those who recognize, I got nothing. And apart from Jesus and what he has accomplished for me on the cross, his work on my behalf, I am without God. And so my faith is in him, in him alone. We need to recognize that we're spiritually broke. We talked about how uh, we're kind of like sheep who have gone astray, right? Anybody remember this video? I showed it a couple months ago. I still love it. And we all show each other the same memes over and over again. Anybody remember this video? It's the video of the, it's coming, there we go. Yeah, the sheep stuck in the ditch and the, and, the, and the farmer kid gets the sheep out and here he goes, whoop, da, 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 yeah, and, and. <laughs> And that's us. Spiritually speaking, that's us. God pulls us out of our mess, and we start going, yay! And we take four steps, and we're right back in it. Why? Because left to ourselves, we have nothing. We need to recognize that. That's a mental exercise, an intellectual awareness that God wants us to achieve. But he doesn't want us to just stay in our heads. He wants 
this truth to impact our hearts. And that's where blessed are those who are uh, those who mourn, excuse me, because they are the ones who will be comforted comes in. This is the emotional side of our spiritual selves. God wants us not just to know that we're poor in spirit, but he wants the fact that we're poor in spirit and that the world is lost without him to wreck us. To wreck us in such a way that we do something about it. You ever notice that? If you don't care, you don't do. Anybody got grass outside that's still not mowed? You're supposed to do it yesterday, but you know what? You didn't care to do it. So you didn't do it. I did mine. <laughs> but that's pretty much how we run life. Humans do what they care about. They, they act on what stirs them. So God doesn't want you just to live up here. He wants you to allow what's going on in your world, in your life, the brokenness that you experience, the brokenness that you see in the world, to break your heart like it breaks his. He wants you to move and act based on those things. I I, I have a couple things that kind of move me. You know what moves me? Uh, A stray uh, shopping cart in, in some store's parking lot. Now, some of you can't be bothered. I know that 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 cart thing is like, what, six, seven spots down where you're supposed to put them, and so you just leave it there where four people can't park their car. Stop doing that, by the way. Uh, But if you do do that, all right, and I'm coming into that, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk from my car away from the store to where that cart is, and I'm going to start pushing that in. Why? I don't know. I wish I knew. It's hot right now. But it bugs me that those carts aren't in their home. I'm going up to the store anyway. Might as well push one, right? And so that is something that I peculiarly and particularly, wow, hard words, do because I care about it. You got your stuff that you care about that makes you act, but here's the deal. God wants us all to take very seriously his, the effects of sin in our lives. He wants us to care about sin so much that we come against it in our own lives, in the world that we live in. Because it matters to us. Because it matters to him. These blessings build on each other. We start in our heads, we move to our hearts, and then these next uh, five or six are going to all be in, in, in our actions, in our, in our hands, as it were. They're all, almost all of them are, are contain a paradox, and, and today's um, are both paradoxical statements. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. Those things don't work. But Jesus loves a a good paradox, doesn't he? You read his teachings. He, He teaches this. He says that the last will be first. He teaches that giving is receiving. He tells us that dying is living. That losing is finding. That the least shall be the greatest. That the poor shall be rich. And that weakness is the only way to truly find strength. These are the things that Jesus hangs his hat on, the things that he wants us to live by. So let's get to one of these other paradoxical statements. And we'll see as we read verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that Jesus is instructing uh, those listening to him that day at the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us a couple thousand years after the fact, here's how I want you to live in your minds, knowing that you're empty and poor in spirit, in your hearts, uh, broken over sin and desiring to do something about it. And then with your attitude, I want you to be marked by meekness. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Jesus is saying, choose a not me attitude. That word meek there in uh, verse 5 is, is the Greek word proutus. Everybody say proutus. It's the same word that's in Galatians 5.22 as um, Paul there lists off the fruit of the spirit. He gets to the last couple fruits and proutus is the word gentleness. Uh, gentleness and self-control are kind of uh, neighbors in, in the fruit of the spirit and, and they are related to this idea of meekness. Meekness has inherent to it uh, gentleness and, and self-control. It means being in a position of power and choosing it not. Now, let me, let me explain real quick what meekness is not. It's not passivity. So if you are kind of a, a, a gentle soul, good on you. We need more of you, right? But just because you by nature are passive doesn't mean that you're meek at all. In fact, uh, there's this whole thing called passive aggression. Anybody heard of it? And, and you passive folks are really great at it because you're not going to yell and scream, you know, in such a way that we hear you, but we're going to feel it in how you treat us, right? So passivity isn't meekness. Um, uh, meekness isn't even just being nice. Certainly that should be, uh, you know, a part of it, uh, but me meekness is, is way beyond just being nice. Uh, meekness historically has been seen as self-loathing. Uh, back in the Middle Ages, as uh, the monastics uh, we're, we're gaining, uh, you know, uh, notoriety. Uh, several men saw the Bible and read uh, or heard their priests in the Catholic Church preaching to them from texts like this, and they interpreted, blessed are the meek, as, hey, man, I've got to hate me. I've got to separate myself from society and go live with other guys like me up on this mountain. I need to sell everything I have. I need to live, uh, you know, a, a, a lifestyle of poverty. I need to, at night, fl flog myself, self-flagellate. Uh, an atonement for my sins. They adopted all these um, unnecessary uh, manners of life because they misunderstood what meekness is about. It's not about self-loathing. In fact, meekness is not thinking less of yourself. It's really just thinking about yourself less. Meekness is thinking about yourself less. It's being strong and, and choosing not to invoke your entitlement or your will in some situation instead of preferring God always and others as he leads you uh, to love them and serve them. I used to come home when our kids were young and uh, you know, they'd uh, hear the garage door open and they'd meet me at the back door and, Daddy! Anybody get that when you were a kid? And they'd just start wrapping themselves around my you know, arms and legs and we'd stumble out to the living room floor while I would lay down and they would just uh, you know, proceed to pummel me. That was just kind of the way they said hello. Uh, we'd have these wrestling matches where I'd make all these sounds and commentate and talk about, you know, and Kai was, Kai was always coming off the top rope. She'd always jump up on the couch and just, you know, boot stomp my gut. Anyway, uh, but here's what would happen. They would always pin me, and then we'd go eat dinner. That's just how it worked. Now, I want to let everybody know that at any time in that period of history, if I had wanted to pin all three of those kids, I totally could. It wasn't like I was legit losing. I was choosing losing. It's totally different. I was in a position of strength, but out of love to those around me, I chose to lose. That's meekness. It's being able and choosing not, being strong and choosing weak. Jesus probably reminded some of those who were listening to him that day of a psalm that maybe they had memorized as young Jews 
In Psalm 37, David's writing, and he says this, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. We're going to come back to that. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. Hey. He goes on and he says this. He says, uh, uh, for uh, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he won't be there. Why? Because the meek shall inherit the land, delight themselves in, the, in an abundance of peace. Man, David said, hey, man, everybody reading this, singing this song with me? God's got us. And, and he is in charge of our inheritance. And he will give his inheritance, not to the strong, not to those who fight for themselves, but he will give his inheritance to those who trust in him. He'll overcome the evildoers in our world and give the meek the land. I, I love this psalm. In fact, when, I, when we read verses here in sermons and stuff like that, if you do life group sermon notes and things like that, we try to take you further into the stuff that we're studying. We just kind of cite this verse or that verse. But the verses around the verses that we study together, they, they inform the conversation. In verse 25 of Psalm 37, David tells us that he's an older man. He actually says, so I'm an older guy, I'm no longer young. And then he goes on and he talks as an older man about what he's talking about from his experience. Older guys, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some young whippersnapper comes at you, my sons, you know, in their mid-20s, talking to me about their lives, and I'm like, well, listen, man, do these things and don't do these things. I tried them. They don't work. And David's talking, hearing this psalm from his experience, and his experience is, hey, man, if you want to inherit the land, stay meek. And you look at his life in 1 Samuel and a little bit in 2 Samuel, you will see that David over and over again is portrayed as a meek man. He was anointed the king of Israel, and he continued to work under the reign of his pre predecessor, uh, you know, playing songs and serving in the army of Saul, even as Saul sought to kill him. It got so bad that Saul made him persona non grata. He was Israel's most wanted. And David never raised a hand against the man that he would replace. He had opportunities. If you read his story, there was at least two times where in a cave he was close enough to be able to end Saul's life and chose not to. Why? Because he would not raise his hand against the anointed one of God, even as one who had been anointed. There's one of my favorite stories about David is in 1 Samuel 25, and he's, uh, he's dealing with a guy named Nabal. Nabal is the Hebrew word for fool. What a bummer name to get from your parents. Did anybody name their kid dummy? I, mean, I know you call him dummy every once in a while, but no one here actually named your kid dummy, right? Yeah, that'd just be horrible, but that's what this parent, these Hebrew parents chose to name this guy, and he lived up to his name. He was an idiot. And David came to him and asked for help and said, hey, would you just give some food and supplies for my men? And Nabal said, no. And this made David furious. No. He actually, he said, everybody strap up. Everybody get your, your swords and your spears. We're heading down to Nabal's house and we're killing them all. That's how mad he got. Abigail, the wife of Nabal, who would soon be the wife of David because Nabal's going to die. Story alert, or spoiler alert. But Abigail meets David on the road. And, and if you read that in Psalm 20, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 25, she has this long wife speech. Oh, honey, essentially. Oh, wise one. She's, she's buttering him up and says, I know you would never take revenge into your own hands. You just read it. It's, it's just perfect. Ladies, you should read it. This is how you talk to men. 
And David hears God through Abigail and says, oh, thank you. You saved me. I was about to go outside of myself, to invoke myself, to leave meekness behind and exact revenge. Instead, I will stop and I will trust God for it. And by the end of the chapter, the ball's dead. Abigail is David's wife. Boom. It's one of my favorite stories. So David, for the most part, lives a meek life, except for this one instance, especially one instance. He's supposed to be out fighting with his army, but he's back at his palace, and he's kind of bored, and he's up on the roof, and he looks down out over the city, and in a bath uh, at another uh, house in another part of town, he sees a beautiful woman. And he decides that he wants that woman. And so he uses his power as king to take that woman for himself. And if you know the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, he then uh, has a child or impregnates this woman with a child, which is not possible because her husband has been on the front line where David was supposed to be. And so now he's got to kill or at least arrange the death of Bathsheba's husband so that he can rightfully marry her and they can have this, this baby. If you remember the story, this prophet by the name of Nathan Makes great hot dogs. But he came, he came to David and told him a story about a, 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 a landowner and a sheep and how this big landowner stole this one guy's sheep from him. And remember what David did? He was like, what? That's not meek. That's not how it should be. Tell me where he is. And Nathan says, it's you that I speak of. David had to suffer the consequences of that. And so fast forward, he's an old man and he writes Psalm 37. And he says, hey man, for me it's not a toss-up at all. If, if you want to live the life that God has for you, live a life trusting him. Be meek. Wish I'd always been that. Be meek because the meek shall inherit the land. I especially like verse 8. Can we read it real quick again? In verse 8, he says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. He says this. I love it. Let's put it on T-shirts. Fret not yourself. Fret not yourself. Why? Because it tends only to produce evil. Hey, man, don't sweat you. Don't be obsessed with you. Don't worry about you. Because when you worry about you, your eyes are not on him, and you start the mess that sin is in our lives. Go to the garden. Eve's just hanging out. The snake comes up and says, hey, is it true that you're not supposed to eat this fruit? Well, that's what he said. Do you know why he said it? Because he doesn't want you to have what he has. He knows that you'll be just like him if you eat it. And sin began. Everybody look at me. When Eve took her eyes off her father and put them on herself. Fret not yourself. Live a life marked by meekness, this not me life that Jesus is calling us to. When I'm meek, I'm like Jesus. Jesus was a man who lived free from pride even though he was God himself, free from boasting and self-protection, free from oversensitivity. Oh, this one. Come on. Are you a little sensitive about yourself? Just a little. Like you could put you down, but nobody else better put you down. And how many messes, how many broken relationships 
have started because we left meek and chose oversensitivity in its place. Oversensitivity leads to paranoia. Jesus didn't have any of these things. He never sought to glorify himself. Paul tells us who we have in Christ when he says this, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Everybody put your hand out like this. There's, there's certain things about ourselves that we can hold on to, make a fist. Like, I'll, I'll be okay with, open your hands again. I'll be okay with all this, God, but when it comes to this area of my life, I'm sensitive. And I'm taking it back from me. Jesus, you can put your hands down. Jesus, the Son of God, sets aside the fullness of himself. He, he considers equality with God for a time, not something to be grasped, and he lets it go. The next verse tells us that he emptied himself. The Greek word kenosis, he, he just became nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is our gospel. That is our story. It starts with the meekness of our Savior. Does everybody hear that? And so if that's our Jesus and that's what he commands here in the Sermon on the Mount, then that's who we should be. Jesus says later in the book of Matthew, he says to those that he's teaching on this particular day, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who needs some rest? Anybody need some rest? Anybody need some rest in life? Anybody? Some of you are getting it right now as I speak. That's good. <laughs> but Jesus says, hey, man, you worn out? Just so you know, most of the people in Israel were because the, the faith, the, the, the religion that they served was a religion of rules. Now, there were rules that they misinterpreted. Stick around through this series in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're going to see Jesus um, re-explain the rules so that people understand them fully. But most people had seen the rules, the Mosaic law, as the standard that they needed to live by in order to be righteous. God never meant for the rules to be a, a means of achieving righteousness. He sent the rules to us, gave the rules to us, so that we could see that we are poor in spirit. And that we cannot in ourselves be righteous. And so we need him. We need him and, and his son Jesus to be our savior. Anyway, but these people that Jesus is teaching, they're, he's, they're just like, oh, I got to go to synagogue. Oh. And I blew it this week. And those sins are counted against me. I'm so grateful for Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, where once a year I can shake the etz sketch and wipe my slate clean. But then my sins start counting against me again. Oh, what a weight. Jesus says, hey, that stuff heavy? Come over here. I'll give you rest. Why? Or how? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then get this. I am gentle, proutes. I'm meek. And I'm lowly. And in me you will find rest for your souls. Uh, the yoke in, in ancient times was seen as uh, a rabbi's teachings. So like if you ascribe to some rabbi's you know, uh, version of the, of the Torah and the, and the Old Testament scriptures, you would take on his yoke. It, it came from the farm. Everybody gets this is not egg yoke. This is ox yoke. Not an ox egg. Anyway, 
the, the, the like big wooden handcuffs that they would take uh, two large animals and kind of strap them together with. Did you know that if you were a young oxen coming up in the barn and it was your time to start working in the fields, they wouldn't pair you with someone your age. You would go with the most seasoned, oldest oxen in the stable. And they'd strap you next to this big hoss who knows. And that older oxen would be yoked to you. And that older oxen would teach you as a new ox all the things that you need to know about the farm. How to plow, where to go, when to turn. He would understand the master's uh, you know, instructions and, and lead you in them. Why? Because you're handcuffed by the neck to him. What a great picture of the relationship that we're meant to have with Christ. Isn't that a great picture? He is our authority, but not just our authority. He's our mentor. He's the one who takes us where we need to go. By his grace, in his power, he shows you the paths that we're meant to walk in. If we will only stay in the yoke. But when we throw the yoke, toss the bit, to borrow from the horse barn, then we are unmanageable. Meekness is not possible because we are not with the meek one. If I had to put it one more way, I'd say this. Everybody at birth is issued their own game controller. Anybody play video games? Some of the men are, and maybe some of the ladies are going, yes, sir. Yeah, good to have you, bro. Yeah, so, so uh, these controllers are amazing. When I grew up, it was Pong. Does anybody remember Pong? You just had this little knob, and you'd turn, and this white bar would go up and down. So lame. Uh, nowadays, there's 58 buttons. They all do something. I can only control two, right? Uh, but these controllers work everything that's happening on the screen. Everybody in here is born with a controller. Here's the spiritual question. Who's holding your controller? Okay, you say Jesus. I just heard someone. That's, that's the right answer. When a pastor asks you a question, say Jesus. But here, I'm just going to be honest with you. Jesus isn't always holding my controller. He's not always running what's on my screen. I confess that. My heart breaks over that. I want to be better. But in those moments where I invoke self, I seek to please myself. I seek to raise myself up above whoever I'm in relationship with. In those moments, I yank the controller from my Savior's hands. And I say, I got this. And that is the beginning, as David said, of all kinds of evil. Oh, that you and I would understand that the God-approved life, the blessed life, is a life that adopts the attitude that even though I'm strong, I'm not going to bully and, 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 and enforce or, or, or seek what I sense is my entitlement. I'm going to lay all that down for the sake of the will of my Father and for the service of others. Who are you not living the not me life with? Who have you had a hard time being meek to even today? There might be opportunities in the car as you drive away from here to apologize, to confess and repent, and to say, honey, or child, or parent, mom or dad, whoever. I wasn't meek in that conversation before we got here. I wasn't meek when we had that blow up this week. 
I sought myself. And I know that's brought me all kinds of mess. I don't want to fret about myself anymore. Help me. The last one's this, and we'll just do this briefly. Channel your appetite. Channel your appetite. How's it go? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Right? For they shall be satisfied. Jesus goes from talking about how we should think and how we feel to to how it should shape our attitudes about life to now saying, all right, now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty, the, the real, here's what you do in life to be approved by God. And it all starts with your appetite. Channel your appetite. Turn to someone right now. We're almost at lunchtime. Turn to someone right now and tell them, if this food was in front of me right now, I would snarf the whole thing. Go ahead. Turn to someone and tell them. What, what is that one food, if you had it in front of you right now, you couldn't eat just one? Some of you have been eating all service. I've been watching you. You want to know mine? Here's mine. You can't really see it. These are Publix brand animal crackers. I don't know how I started eating these things, but like four or five years ago, I found them in the cookie aisle. They were cheap. I was like, I'll try them. You know what these taste like? Who grew up going to McDonald's when you were kids and getting the McDonald's land cookies? These are the McDonald's land cookies. I kid you not. And so I'm just being honest. When I go into Publix, i got to stay at least two aisles on either side of the cookie aisle. Because if I get anywhere near these things, they're in my hand, then they're in my basket, then they're in my car, and then they're open, and then I've usually eaten them all before I get to work. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's too much. That's, that's hyperbole. Yeah, there you go. You can't have them either. All right. Uh, we all have things that we desire, snacks certainly, but other things in life. And, and here's what I would guess, especially since you're at church, if I told you, do you desire God? Most of you would say, yes, Mark, I do. That's why, I hung, that's why I'm here this morning. I desire God. I want to know him. I want to be like him. I want to follow him and honor him and, pray and, and, and glorify him. Awesome. But is that just a desire? Or is that like a controlling, insatiable hunger and thirst? Jesus talks about himself in terms of drink and diet all the time, right? He gets with a woman at a well and he says, hey, you know, if you ask me for water, I give you you never thirst again. And then he says, a little bit later, and, and, and Travis did a great job with this text, in John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and then he even expands it. He'll never thirst again. I'm what you need. And when he uses these analogies of hunger and thirst, people that he, were talking to, that he was talking to in those days understand it way better than we do. We've probably never really been hungry or thirsty. And some of you are like, no, no, there's that one day where I went six hours. Okay, calm down, American. Easy. Most of us, if we're hungry, we just pull over and get whatever it is that we want. Or if we're trying to be good, we'll wait till later, but then we'll go to our fridge, which is full of food, much of which we throw out. And we'll eat whatever we want, as much as we want. We're never thirsty. We can just go to a tap, any tap, and turn it on and drink. Jesus is talking to people who live in the desert. Who 2,000 years ago, if their crops failed, their kids didn't eat, and people died. If drought came, if you were making a journey and weren't wise enough to bring enough water, you put your life at risk. And so he says to this world that he's teaching 2,000 years ago, he says, you guys understand hunger and thirst. Here's what I'm telling you. 
If you want to truly be satisfied, you're going to make your chief hunger and thirst, this insatiable, unsatisfiable desire, be for God. And here's why that's so important. Can I just share this before we go? This is why it's so important. The whole world is looking to be happy. The whole world is looking to be blessed. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll truly be blessed. But everybody's going out there trying to find something that will bless them apart from hungering and thirsting after God. Listen to me. Every one of you have a phone or a a computer or something that is password protected. And it has all these incredible things that you can use and utilize in your life, but unless you pop in that password, that thing is, is a, it's a brick. It's a, it's a paperweight. It might well just, it, it, it just it's no, of no use to you. And so it is, look at me, so it is with every worldly pursuit of ours that is separated from and not <laughs> emanating out of hunger and thirst for righteousness. Did you hear me? Everything else that this world could offer you will leave you unsatisfied. Why? Because the password to true filling and true satisfaction is this hunger and thirst for God. It is the only thing that truly satisfies. In fact, It's this constant thing that needs to be a part of our lives. Like if if we were translating this verse in the the way that the verbs are really uh, expressing themselves in the present tense, we would say this, blessed are those who constantly hunger and constantly thirst for righteousness, for they alone are the ones who are perpetually satisfied. That's what the, the, the second rendering would show us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they and they alone will be satisfied. Oh, man, I sit in my study and I get ready for these talks and I'm just convicted because I know me. I look in the mirror and I fall short. Is anybody grateful for a God who's patient? God who extends his grace to us, who tells us what we're to do, but then because he loves us by his spirit, which indwells us when we put our faith in him, he empowers us to become what we already are in him. And he leads us. So listen, here's the deal. You might be sitting here right now, and as I'm talking to you about being meek, you know you're not. Maybe you need to come this morning, talk to me or someone else on our prayer team, and just start the process of praying meekness back into your life. Maybe you're sitting here right now, and you know that you know that you know that your first hunger and your first thirst is not the righteousness of God. That you're hungry and thirsty for all kinds of things. You've fashioned your life and your schedule and your entire world around achieving those things. I'm here to tell you one more time, apart from God... Those things are worthless. Jesus says later in this sermon, it's my favorite verse since I was a little kid and I knew what a Bible was. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other stuff that you hope for and and, and seek in, in order to make you happy and blessed and filled, he'll take care of that. Make him and his kingdom your first aim. Your chief aim, and trust them for what you lack. Oh, man, if we could just figure that out. If we could just figure that out. I'm going to pray.
God, by your grace, uh, you reveal yourself to us in your word. And as we walk through this uh, sermon that your son uh, taught on uh, a mountain in Israel a couple thousand years ago, uh, its words are as true today as they were then. Um, Father, help us to recognize that without you, uh, spiritually, we have nothing. Uh, that that is devastating for you and, and it should break our hearts too. Help us, God, to live uh, a life that sets aside our entitlement, our, our own strength, and that just seeks to, to rest entirely in you, to choose you, to seek not our own revenge or to seek not our own means of, of whatever, just to, to, to be available to you, to be aligned with you and your will. Uh, control us, God, by your spirit. Lead us in life. Help us to hunger. Lord, my prayer is that I would walk out of here not just desiring you, not just fancying you, but hungering for you and thirsting for you and your righteousness. Help me to understand. Help us all to understand that that's the only way we'll find fulfillment. These things I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Let's live the blessed life. If you need to come and talk, come and talk. Peace.